Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. I'm Dr. Santosh coming to you from Travel Medicine Podcast, and I'm your neighborhood friendly pediatric infectious doc and researcher. He's honestly very more friendly yeah, than me. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. You're a very friendly person. On a scale of Josh to Santosh. <laughs> Yeah, That's neither here nor there, folks. I took last week off because I didn't feel like editing. (laughs) Because we're, you are dedicated listeners come first. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, we we took a week off. Spoiler. Hey, happy birthday, Dr. Josh. Uh, 50th birthday last week. (laughs) 38, you bastard. Which, I was just on ice for a number of years, like Captain America. Like Captain America. Yes, audience. I turned 38 and decided I would reward myself by not working for a week on this. Ah. This week, folks, uh, since I took it off for my birthday this week, I believe we owe you one everybody's favorite bi-weekly episode, Journal Club! Yay! Woo-hoo. Oh, yeah coming at you guys yeah (laughs) so santosh what's our journal club topic for the week i know it's your birthday but i guess you were feeling generous and you decided to get me like a goodie bag all the vaccine stuff like shots 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 uh, shots (laughs) is this is this why you you son of a bitch (laughs) oh my god why didn't i see this coming I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid.
You you sent me the show notes two weeks ago. You really did. And I got completely sidetracked by whatever title you put on here, which did not have this nonsense at the top at all. Oh my God, you got me. So, folks, <laughs> this week, our Journal Club topic is shots, 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 shots. <laughs> and it's all about vaccines. He actually, he put a pun in there already. He said vaccines or just a phage, which referred to one of the things, you know, we're going to give you guys a, a, a bacteriophage story, which is an awesome friggin' story, which does not have to do with vaccines. So we go vaccine, vaccine, and then we give you the phage story. I was like, I thought we already had the pun. And now I have to listen to shit house music to be able to get that stupid song out of my head. Just be thankful I didn't have Pitbull here to deliver it. <laughs> you know, if we had spent 15 bucks or so, we could have actually gotten that guy. Yeah, probably. So, <laughs> let's... He will not turn down and check that man. So, Santosh, let's take our first shot. And uh, <laughs> this story is about a vaccine for malaria. Yeah, we've been waiting, you know, time and time again. And um, we've had a lot of kind of unfulfilled promises when it comes to a malaria vaccine. Um, malaria, by the way, is a horrible disease. The number one killer of human beings the world around, and a lot of people will say it's humans, but the number one killer really is mosquitoes. They carry all these awful things. And one of the most worldwide infectious diseases that is malaria. And we're running out of options, right? Because our anti-malarials are failing, the parasites are getting more resistant. And there have been vaccine trial after vaccine trial, really, really hardworking people. Um, but we have a beautiful new candidate, which in the first large clinical trial is giving like close to 100% of protection against this disease. So our testing ground where we're going to host these malaria hunger games is the <laughs> West African island of Bioko. In the last 15 years, the prevalence of malaria on Bioko has dropped from around 45% to only 12%. And that's just from using conventional measures such as insecticides, bed nets laced with chemicals, all of that sort of thing. But getting that last 12% down, it's like trying to drop that last 10 pounds. We can't quite get to zero. So this is a perfect chance to test out a new malaria vaccine. So there are 280,000 people living on the island of Bioko, and this trial will involve about 2,100 of them. So almost 10%, ranging in age from 2 to 50 years. And this is going to really give us all that efficacy and safety data that we need to see if it can be mass produced and given to the general population. Investigational trial, it's small, but it's finally published. We had one trial all the way back in 2017, published in the proceeding of the National Academy of Sciences, and that was the phase one clinical trial. So just to remind all of our listeners, phase one safety, make sure that you know something is administered to humans. We don't look to see if the efficacy is good. Good. 
we make sure it's safe. And so that PNAS paper 2017 was enrolling 31 healthy adults ages 18 to 45 years. And now once you have that phase one trial, you make sure all the participants are safe. They don't have any short or long-term side effects, but you don't test its ability to protect against malaria at that point. After that, you go to the real world and do these phase two and phase three trials where you're actually looking to see if the people who receive the vaccine are protected from the disease that it's meant to protect. Now, one of the things that makes this vaccine so unique is it actually uses whole parasites as its ingredient, whereas most vaccines tend to use only a small number of like genetically engineered proteins. Somebody just grabbed their mortar and pestle and mashed up all the sporozytes and (laughs) said, uh, let's make it happen. But in order to be effective, it has to be injected intravenously, which is a little tricky for mass vaccination campaigns because it's a lot easier to get a quick shot in the arm or take it as a pill or into the muscle than it is to inject it into the bloodstream. After you've administered the vaccine, you do blood tests to actually check for their immune response. Now you actually have to wait and observe how these people do. So, you know, we have previous trials, we have, you know, safety trials that have happened. So this particular trial that we're talking about on Bioko is going to begin in early 2020. Uh, And once again, involve 2,100 people ages two to 50 years old, which is super important because we've got a pediatric population all the way to a sub-geriatric population. Look at their immune response and actually see if these people are protected against repeated bouts of malaria. So it will be very exciting to see. And if it works, it'll roll out to the other, you know, 200 some odd thousand people on the island. Yay! I'm guarded in what I'm, you know, anticipating. Cautiously optimistic. Well, the bartender's giving us the side eye, so I do believe it's time for another shot. And uh, <laughs> this one is going to be... You gotta, you can't just sit there without, you know, take yeah. another shot. I mean, if, if it was possible to double fist on, on audio, <laughs> you can be assured I'd be doing yeah. it. Yeah, no, it's true. But then, you know, people, you know, there'd be... Two voices saying two different things at the same time. Uh, editing. <laughs> That's true. So yeah. let's move on to our next shot story. This time, the Ebola vaccine. And that one's kind of coming up in importance because uh, there's a lot of Ebola roaming around the Democratic Republic of the Congo, pretty close yeah. to where one of our co-hosts likes to wander around. Not not only wander around, but, you know, be on the ground saving lives. So, she, you know, hats off to Dr. Jean Biu. Um, who is not working, thank you so who much is not actively service. working in the DRC right now, but is working with Ebola. If you'd like to know more about Ebola, we did a whole episode called The Hot Zone, where we discussed what it would look like and how people who have been infected with Ebola are treated here in the U.S. So check it out. The (laughs) experimental vaccine is actually protective about 97% of the time, uh, based on recent data Mm -hmm. from University of Minnesota's Center for Infectious Diseases and Research. So of the 90,000 people who were vaccinated, only 71, not 71,000, 71 people developed Ebola after receiving the vaccine, and 56 of them developed symptoms less than 10 days after being vaccinated, suggesting that we just didn't get to them in time. 
So it's thought it takes about 10 days for immune protection to start once the vaccine's been administered. Once you get your shot, (laughs) as a lot of people know, you know, you don't take your shot and then, you know, you feel the effects immediately. It does take a while for a vaccine to act on the immune system, uh, cause T cells and B cells to become activated and then increase levels of antibodies and then cement immune memory. So it's not an instant, you know, protection like a bulletproof shield. Um, your immune system does have to adapt uh, to seeing a new antigen and form, you know, that protective barrier in inside of your bloodstream. So it's not surprising that those who were exposed to Ebola very quickly after receiving the vaccine got sick. The movie Hot Zone, Nat Geo, and you have your Juliana Margulies, uh, who's going to be in that one. They're, they've got a very, you know, shocking line in that one. And the Ebola strain Zaire, which has an infectivity rate of over 90%, meaning that if you catch it, you, you don't just like have asymptomatic infection. 90% of those people, you know, who catch Ebola will have some level of actual disease. And so it is a very, very infectious thing on the level of something like measles. Um, yeah, there's no but, such so thing as casual seeing, Ebola, folks. No, there's no, <laughs> there's no casual Ebola. But if you're saying that like you, you inoculated 90,000 people and you reduced infectivity so low that, you know, only 71 of those 90,000 people went on to have Ebola. I mean, not, this isn't like one of those, like, oh, we succeeded and pat our shells. This is a major and win. Not only is it a major win, but it was a major crisis because this data only became available on the WHO's website after a meeting of experts who were advising the director general on whether the outbreak in the Democratic Republic of the Congo should be declared a public health emergency or an international epidemic. And the committee concluded that even though this epidemic is becoming increasingly serious, thanks to the vaccine data, it does not constitute a global threat at this time. They really cut this epidemic off, like just hamstrung it. It was beautifully executed, um, just doing a phenomenal job. And more so than the vaccine, uh, which has the beautiful name of Zebov. The other cool strategy that they used here, Josh, was called a ring strategy. If you like it, then right? you should have put a ring so on the, it. No, in, in this if case, if you hate it, then it, you should have put a put ring on it. <laughs> you put a you put a ring around oh, oh, it. Is oh, what you did. Ebola, you put a ring uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> terrible. Oh yeah. Well, you gotta watch out, man. Beyonce will come after us and shut this shit I'm down. I'm not important enough for her to take notice of. <laughs> Probably not. They use this thing called a ring strategy. This is a on-the-ground vaccination strategy. And what you're doing is you're drawing a ring around a person who has Ebola. So what you do is you start with a primary contact um, with someone who's been, you know, close to someone who has Ebola. And then what you do is you draw a ring, kind of an expanding spiral around that person. So you, you meet person number one and you say, hey, who have you met? 
and then you you find the next person over and you inoculate them. So and if hey, who Santosh gets and infected, go I'm going to go and give shots. I'm going to shoot him, his family, yeah. his friends, yeah. anyone he's uh-huh. come in contact with. This could yeah. also be called the Godfather strategy. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. It's very you, – you draw concentric rings or eccentric rings around a contact – kind of like ripples in a pond and you just say you know hey who have you met oh you know santosh has met josh uh and you know and you say oh okay well we'll we'll get i will draw a ring around santosh around his immediate family who's his closest contact and he said he went over to josh's hut and he hung out with josh for a bit so we'll we'll go josh and then we'll anyone who's ever talked to him his His mailman his grocer yeah (laughs) the guy who sold his mother flowers You get all of them. This is Dr. Josh demonstrating a spot-on <laughs> Congoan accent. <laughs> you make them, you make okay. them an offer they can't refuse. How'd you like to get Ebola? No? Then take this shot. <laughs> yeah, and it's free. So, so it, it's a it's a beautiful strategy. Um, you know, we said. Uh, uh, you know, you you draw these rings out eccentrically from an individual, um, and uh, it, it's a very very beautiful strategy because you don't really need infrastructure, right? You don't need to send out you know groups and groups of people with shots. Um, you can have one person just traveling from place to place to place to place, uh, and and drawing these rings around individuals. <laughs> And, it's um, the ultimate version of poking from Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Friend of a friend, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. Exactly. Poke. Done. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It, it was so efficient. Uh, and, you know, they had two contacts of contacts. So, like, if you go, you know, not an immediate contact of a person who had Ebola, but you said out of like the 68,000 who were contacts of contacts, only two of them developed Ebola. Um, you know, so like the, the further out you get from an original index case of Ebola, the better and better, you know, coverage that you get. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about, uh, how the strategy worked out. I'm really very excited about how efficacious the vaccine is. We will have to see over time if the, immunity lasts and if it covers all of the people who are inoculated against different types of strains of ebola you know not just uh ebola that originated or is endemic to the drc so there's still a lot of questions up there but we're super super excited moving on to our next story the u.s food and drug administration has approved the very first dengue vaccine that can treat all the serotypes all four of them, for people aged 9 to 16. Uh, But there's a catch. You had to already be infected with dengue before you can qualify for the vaccine. So this is a little bit tricky because (laughs) we've talked in the past about dengue virus where the first time you get it, it sucks. It's also known as bone break fever. It's, It's painful, but it's not usually fatal necessarily. But the second time you get it, there is the potential that it could become a hemorrhagic fever, like crying tears of blood, hemorrhagic fever. And that's what this vaccine is aiming to sort of prevent these serious reinfections or 
secondary infections, I should say. It's kind of interesting, Josh, because Ebola is infectious, you know, if you touch the secretion, so saliva, blood, any of those, you get Ebola. A majority of those people will get like really bad flu-like symptoms and, you know, the the minority will get the horrible hemorrhagic fever. Dengue, um, you know, you'll get this hemorrhagic fever with what's called a second hit. But it is actually, you know, if you get that hemorrhagic fever, it's much more severe and much more abrupt and acute. So the, you know, the prognosis is really bad with uh, that second hit of dengue if it progresses to hemorrhagic fever fever. Um, but thankfully, you know, it's it's a lot less contagious because, you know, you need the kiss of a mosquito. Dengue, <laughs> dengue is now endemic but, in the U.S., mostly in the territories. So Samoa, Guam, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, but it is coming up from the south and will likely be endemic within the next couple mm-hmm. of years in all the border states. Uh, unless we get this climate change thing figured out, in which case, you know, mosquitoes won't be able to live where we have temperate climates, which are slowly there turning are no into the tropics. Climates anymore, Santosh. Yeah. Usually, infection, one of the four types of dengue virus, provides immunity against that specific one, but you can still be infected by the other three. So, by giving mm-hmm. this vaccine, they're hoping to prevent. All of them in one go. So like, all right, you got, everybody gets one. You chose door number one, two, three, or four. Behind the all three of the doors you didn't choose, horrible blood-filled infection. (laughs) And, well, you know, the the one thing which scares us and that, you know, we don't want to do is that you can get, you know, that, that dengue virus, you know, bone break type of or hemorrhagic fever type because of the vaccine, because rather than the mosquito providing the second hit, you can provide, you know, the, the, the first hit. And then, you know, the, the mosquito comes around and gives the second hit because you're kind of primed. Um, because the reason for this is that it's not the virus that causes the hemorrhage and everything. It's our own immune response and our immune response going haywire uh, against that second exposure to the thing. And that's why they're saying, okay, well, if you've had your first hit, then what we'll do is, you know, you can, you can give this vaccine, you can be observed and make sure that, you know, you don't have like a hemorrhagic process. And then, you know, you've had your second hit. And luckily, if you're exposed to this virus again, your immune system will not go apeshit. By the way, that's a technical scientific term. Is now, immune system there's going a few problems with this vaccine. I mean, they're not Game of Thrones season eight level problems. No. <laughs> you have but such vitriol against this. <laughs> the, the issues that people are going to yeah. raise is the dengue vaccine, dengvaxia. Not a bad name, actually. But Dengvaxia, one, it's a live attenuated vaccine given in three injections. Live attenuated vaccines have a number of problems in that they are not available sort of universally. You can't give them to people who are immunocompromised. You can't give them to people who are on certain medications because it is a active infection, but very, very weak which means most normal immune systems can handle it. But there's a large percentage of the population that this just isn't going to work on. 
The second is they chose what seems to me a very arbitrary age 9 to 16. We're not even going to stretch, like, we're saying below 9, okay, well, maybe 9 is old enough that your immune system's developed that you don't have to worry about it, but why stop at 16? Why not give it to 18-year-olds? Why not give it to 20? Like, where was this arbitrary cutoff? And third, you're only allowed to get it if you've already been infected, and that's going to be a really hard sell. Hey, you want a vaccine that'll prevent this? Sure. Oh, but have you had the disease once already? No? Then it's just for the cool kids. (laughs) So... Uh, I'll tell you how this was chosen. By the way, Josh, um, there was another trial that was tried in five countries in the Asia Pacific region. And that one was just for kids. So that was ages two to 14. Um, So this one, which was in the Latin America and the Caribbean to age nine to 16, they looked at targeted population where they saw uh, they had good epidemiological data. I mean, you know, they had a good healthcare system in place uh, and a good on-the-ground um, surveillance system and documented infection. And then they they found where you had like the peak of infection, which they narrowed down to an age range of about nine years to sixteen years. So that's really how they they chose their uh, research population. It just seems there. like. It's a, it still seems very arbitrary numbers, even with the epidemiological data. Although, totally unrelated, the father of epidemiology got a shout-out in the yeah. Game of Thrones finale, where Tyrion, don't don't mm-hmm. worry, spoiler-free, Snow. Sure. Tyrion talks about during the uh, rebuilding <laughs> of King's Landing, he's like, we should probably make sure we have clean water so people are less likely to get infected. And I was like, oh, because who was the father of epidemiology? Dr. Jon Snow. I, I, <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just saying I, so our audience is not the, worried about spoilers, yeah. you know, other than the fact of all of season eight was spoiled. Other, you get the <laughs> shit out of that dog, Jon Snow. That's, that's true. That is true. If you want guilt-free action and just see like a really well-done pure action flick where you don't have to think about the plot. What plot? You know, Starring John, Keanu John Reeves Wick. and Man, the dude from movie. Iron Chef America. <laughs> the don't chairman. believe me? <laughs> this is... <laughs> this show, this particular show might go up in listenership just for that. I just wanted to share with you that Iron Chef America is a villain in John yeah. Wick. Yeah. Is he using a sushi knife? <laughs> He's not a chef. It's the chairman. <laughs> I'd love to see John Flay Wick beat Bobby Flay. Let's do this. Martial arts. <laughs> Guy Fieri and just like jujitsu. <laughs> Someone make that show, please. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. So Ebola vaccine. That's awesome. So another tropical vaccine showing promise. Um, you know, I, I think that's one of the most wonderful things is that, you know, they moving on to epidemics our and next pull shot. themselves out. Uh, this one is actually a little surprising. Santosh, as you may be aware, we're seeing a big comeback of measles um, all over the world, but certainly in the United States. I know what you're thinking. You're yeah. expecting me to go off onto a, like a huge right. anti-vaxxer rant right now. And I'm going to save it this time. I'm actually not going to make this all about rage. And instead, I'm going to give you a what a twist. Because for those of us who were vaccinated, 
if you were born before 1989, <laughs> you may actually need another dose of the measles vaccine. Yeah, and this isn't anything terribly surprising. Um, this happens with vaccines. And, the, you know, we do have to say a little bit here, you know, there are people who are against vaccines because they say, oh, well, the, you know, the immunity wanes, the immunity, you know, goes away over time Vac- vaccine immunity does wane over time, and and that's okay, uh, you know, because you can give a boost or, or another shot. But you know, natural disease does not always produce lifelong immunity. In fact, in the case of measles, measles actually blunts your immunity <laughs> or causes something called wait for it, Josh, immune amnesia. Against it's it's true. It actually, you know, the the attack for measles actually destroys immune memory uh, in the T cells and messes with it, making you more vulnerable to diseases that you have encountered before, and technically you should be protected against because you've encountered it. But now, you know, it it kind of makes holes in your armor to make you more vulnerable to all these other diseases, you know, like pneumonia and chicken pox and all these things. And you say, oh, man, you know, I had that disease. Why am I getting it again? Well, you know, you had measles and it messed up your immune system. Um, I'm just and picturing natural immune immunity amnesia, to measles like all your antibodies are just in waking up in your bloodstream going, what the so, hell just happened? What am I even doing? <laughs> you know, and then, and then and you, like, at what am I level, supposed to do? Who are am getting I? immune deja yeah, vu. It's true. You have, and, and you're getting sick from things that you should have immunity to because you encountered measles and it, it messed with your T cell and B cell memory. Um, so, Yes, vaccine immunity wanes. Uh, you sometimes need an extra shot of MMR. Yeah. Now, Go children get two yeah, doses of the combination measles, mumps, rubella, right. starting at age one. Up until the 1980s, mm-hmm. uh, which includes the decade right. one I year. was born, uh-huh. yeah. um, people in the U.S. were only given one shot. All right. So, and I found out <laughs> while researching this that I apparently only received one measles shot for the year I was born. It was only after a series of outbreaks in the 80s that public health experts changed yeah. the law in 1980 or the recommendations in 1989 and then began endorsing a two dose schedule. And even with two shots, it's not perfectly effective. So, one shot of vaccine was 93% effective in preventing disease. By adding a second shot in the late 80s, they brought that effectiveness up to 97%. Now, that doesn't mean if you got your vaccination before 89, you should be running out to get vaccinated again, although it can't hurt. And I did go back and got a couple very strange looks where I'm like, one measles vaccine, please. And they're like, are you an anti-vac? I'm like, nope. I just didn't get enough. Can't help myself. <laughs> Give me a Philip, bartender. <laughs> Those of us who were born before 1989, and it's actually more of a window. It's after the year 1967 and before 1989. So if you, it was a very broad window. But if you were born in that window, you may have only received one vaccine. Getting a two-shot series um, 
ensures a, a little bit more protection. Usually the first shot is effective for about 90% of recipients. The two-shot series increases that coverage to about 95 to 97% of recipients. Um, and the truth of the matter is, even if you've had measles in the past, um, if you receive one dose of MMR, you know, it could certainly be protective for you because being exposed to and then getting sick with measles later on in life, uh, it can be quite devastating. Um, it's, it's bad when you're young and you have all these horrible sequelae, which can happen like a bad encephalitis in one out of 1700 people, uh, you know, death in, uh, you know, small percentage, unfortunately, almost up to 1%, uh, in some cases, uh, pneumonia, all these kind of things. But in adolescents and older people, measles can be really, really devastating. So, if you decide to go out and say, hey, you know, talk to your doctor and they'll say, can you check my antibodies against measles, mumps, and, and rubella? And if any of them are low, especially important if you know, you're in one of the five states me where we do booster? have outbreaks no raging, and those are Perfectly. California, Mi- Michigan, New Jersey, New York, and Washington. And unfortunately, uh, they did just report the first oh, yeah. few cases in Chicago. So I ran off to my. I ran off to my doctor. I'm like, one anti-measles, please. <laughs> we reached that the original pun happened. that I tricked Santos <laughs> with because we've talked about viruses, <laughs> but really I'm just going through a phage. And it's time to bring up our last story, which isn't really <laughs> even a journal club so much as a case report. So there's twists and turns all over the place. But the headline is viruses genetically engineered Mm -hmm. to kill bacteria rescue british girl with (laughs) antibiotic resistant infections oh there's so much to unpack in this story i mean it's all it's all exciting but let's start with some of the basics 15 year old helen spencer has cystic (laughs) fibrosis that's already a very problematic disease okay yeah um and the way cystic fibrosis attacks you is it gives you very thick goopy mucus which af- which affects yeah. ultimately the pancreas and the lungs and if you can't really digest or uh, break down yeah. food because of thick ropey mucus and you can't breathe because of this thick ropey mucus well bad things happen um now in this particular patient she had been battling this drug resistant infection mycobacterium abscessus Mm -hmm. so that's the same family as tuberculosis but it's a bacteria that is much more likely to form abscesses or little collections of slimy goopy pus and unfortunately you know it's it's around it's in the environment we actually encounter it very very frequently but in that beautiful mucousy moist environment of a cystic fibrosis lung Especially in her case, Josh, because she had received a double lung transplant, so she was immunocompromised, uh, she could not fight this thing off. It just kind of sets up shop and hangs out for a while. But as a practicing clinician, uh, <laughs> with the standard treatments all right, all right. Go, failing, go ahead. You know, both sides. I don't know if those were the, the last one was a happy noise or a sad noise. Asked the doctor began asking the doctor about alternative Mm -hmm. treatments, perfectly reasonable. 
adding she had read something on the internet about... And here's where every clinician is already starting to roll their eyes because we're like, look, we want you to be educated. We want you to read up. But the second you start telling us, why don't you do this treatment? Why don't you do this treatment I read about on the internet? I'm going to tell you we're judging you. Sometimes you'll be right, but you're still being judged. Here's where the eyes start rolling. With standard treatments failing, Isabel's mother began to ask Dr. Spencer about alternatives. Totally reasonable. Adding in, what about this thing she had read about on the internet? No one, <laughs> nobody but nobody okay, objects right. to patients doing their own no, research. Well, I even on, encourage a lot of my patients, yeah. here's your condition, here's what I'm recommending. Look it up so you know about it because I'm not always going to have time to talk to you. But don't tell mm-hmm. me that as a clinician, the second you hear any patient or parent say, I was reading on the internet that you're not already wincing and bracing yourself for what is likely to be at best, a loosely informed opinion. That's true. This isn't one of these things that hits every single time. But, you know, I, I, I'd like to think, and even though I never saw the interaction here, that, you know, they they brought this up as a possibility. Is like, hey, how about that? And, you know, little Isabel and mom and dad, or mom, at least in this case. I'm just um, saying, is at if this research worked, institution. However, this doctor did decide to take a gamble on what even she thought seemed like a far-fetched idea. Phages, viruses that destroy bacteria, and do have a history of being used as treatment, interestingly, in Russia. Whereas we went hardcore into antibiotics in the Western world, Mm -hmm. for a long time, Russia was using um, modified viruses to treat infections. And the, the problem with this, though is the phage has to match the bacteria that's trying to kill you, right? So you have to, when you infuse the phage, phages, you have to make sure that like if you have E. coli, you need a specific E. coli type phage, and it may need to be specific to like the strain of E. coli. If you have Streptococcus pneumoniae, it has to be a strep pneumoniae phage. They don't have a lot of crosstalk. Um, the phages are terribly specific for the type of bacteria that you're trying to kill. So, you know, you have a patient who's like crashing in front of you, like maybe they're septic or something. You can't immediately, you know, just go in and like select a, a phage and just throw it in the way that we select empiric antibiotics, which are very broad spectrum. You have to make sure that you pick the right phage which in this case was viable because Mycobacterium obsessus is kind of slow And it's growing. also pretty it's rare. A... You have, it only treats multiple <laughs> times single bacterial strains, which means we still need to culture yeah. you and do all these other things. So this was literally yeah. a one in a million shot that happened to work, even though phage therapy as an idea dates back about 100 years. So they collected about... They went to the University of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania that has a phage library of about 15,000 phages. And many of these, and many of them were found by under... Can I do a pun? Yeah, and this library, this library is a real phage The researcher, his name was Graham Hatful. So he just went in there and got a hat full of phage. <laughs> Making this really exciting. This and then, University yeah. and then of Pittsburgh phage the right library of has actually right been largely assembled by undergraduate <laughs> students at over 150 schools who take part in a phage hunting effort. You guys, there's a bunch of undergrads, college kids, 
setting up a Pokemon virus library. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is crowdsourcing. You know, this is crowdsourcing this type of brute force science where, you know, you grow a plate full of bacteria and then, you know, you put a cocktail of viruses and then you isolate the virus that's killing the bacteria on the plate. That's your phage. And then you, you take a vial of that, you grow it out, you, you know, you multiply it so you have a, you know, enough for a milliliter or something, whatever it is, freeze it and you send it over and then they put it into large scale storage at uh, UPIT. Absolutely amazing. So now they, they had to Pokemon style, you know, if you, you have whatever, you have a water, well, water type uh, bacteria, you got to have a fire type fish, three you know, phages. you got you got to match uh, it up. Uh, and uh. so they went hunting, Josh, three months of hunting through this library. That it was that many. That's actually impressive. <laughs> out of. <laughs> out no, no, of no, no. 15, hear me out here. Can you imagine? In three months, they you know, found three possible that's pretty, that's solutions. That's a really Point short zero. turnaround time. Yeah, that is. I, I, I have to say that was impressive. And it was probably brute forced again. Uh, and yeah, then they just went in and they made a they made a cocktail. There was a catch, though, right? You had temperate phages, meaning that these guys, these little viruses, even though they kill bacteria, they kind of, you know, they take their sweet time. You know, they just kind of, they browse the buffet. They're that, you know, that dude who's in front of you, in front of like the all you can eat buffet, who's like, oh, maybe that one, maybe not that one. Hungry, and hungry you're phages. Just like, move. Those are the temperate phages. <laughs> so. They had to switch them to like hungry would, phages. I would play that game. Hungry, hungry now, phages. Still needed six weeks hungry, of hungry treatment phages. twice a day to clear it. And she actually still receives infusions ongoing. So this is not like a cure-all. This is, this is essentially a new lifetime treatment. Um, mm -hmm. Or the one that she's yep. going to be taking for many, many months and years. And the researchers stress that she still might have even improved without phage therapy. Right. This was really just like, mm, nothing has worked so far. Maybe we'll try this. Maybe it was just time. And they said the cocktail that was made for her doesn't work against other examples of this uh, disease in other people. As we said, they're very, yeah. very specific custom designed treatments. Um, which is going to make them cost prohibitive to create for the general population. And that's why phage therapy companies right now have about three or four different trials underway to see if they can find a more mass producible phage. Here are kind of hurdles that we have to jump over if this becomes a viable therapy. Number one, you have to be able to identify the bacteria that's killing you in an appropriate amount of time, right? So if it means that you have sepsis, where a patient's going to die in hours, you got to move damn quick. If it's something like pneumonia, which is a little bit slower, or a skin or soft tissue infection, like necrotizing fasciitis, you know, you may have a little bit more time. In this case, where the abscesses, right, the skin infections from mycobacterium abscesses are slowly growing and then, you know, causing lesions all over her skin over the course of months, you have more time. That's, that's problem number one. You have to identify the bacteria, you have to do it in a timely fashion. 
Number two, you got to be able to find the right phage. And some of them, by the way, Josh, because, you know, these are popping up as skin infections now. So we've dealt with She cocktails. takes some cocktail and uses shots. it like, almost like a lotion right on the abscesses on her skin. So it's like straight delivery. You guys, this this was my <laughs> gift to me, catching Santosh with this many I, jokes. You know, I didn't catch that pun either. I'm so sorry, audience. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. I genuinely, I thought this was like, oh, he's so sweet. He's like setting me up to be we've, all smart sounding because I'm infection, and this is years. all like fighting infection. And the whole to time, the point you that were just, you know, I am going very, your back, I, just I love Santos, yourself. but I'm very predictable, and he <laughs> knows when I'm going to try and get him. <laughs> this was careful planning, and I thank you, listening audience, for coming yeah, along I still, on the ride I with still, me. I just walk um, ass backwards. We hope you enjoyed this journal club. <laughs> That's awesome. Listen. Guys, if you like the Journal Club, um, number one, please go into the show notes, read up some more, learn more about it. Tell us if, you know, you want to hear more about these kind of stories. And maybe some of those, you know, that you're out there, you guys are healthcare providers and you want to tell us some of your stories about shot, shot, shots. Um, you know, we'd absolutely day, love Santosh, to hear them live, and then <laughs> I'm I'm totally happy about it. But uh, that's it for this week. As always, we'd love to hear your comments, like questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, you can find links to do that in the show notes or by listening to us on the Radio Public app. I haven't mentioned them in a while, and I sure would like the nickel. Our the show is produced by me with a lot of help from all my co-hosts. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time, as always, (laughs) happy travels. Bye, guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.